This is Purple Elephant, the podcast that brings the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Martin Sibley. He is a disabled travel content creator, keynote speaker and entrepreneur. He's recently just set up the business of Purple Goat Agency, which connects businesses to the global disability market. We talk about everything from the social model of disability to his new venture and everything in between. I hope you like this episode. And for those of you who are in the disability influencer market, I think this one's definitely for you. The world, the infrastructure should be accessible to everybody. We know in the UK, 22% of the population have a disability, yet 0.06% of adverts have disability represented in it and so socially that's just awful. Welcome to Purple Elephant Martin, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me, it's great to be here. Fantastic, so just first initial get to know you. For those of you that don't know Martin, I think it's best for him to introduce himself so could you tell us all about you, who you are and what you're about? Sure, sure, so I mean I suppose the, the, the one thing around my career and my mission is for inclusion of disabled people. And that's very much, you know, begins with I have a disability. So I've got a genetic condition called spinal muscular atrophy, which means I've never been able to walk. I got my first wheelchair when I was about three years old. And that was just because it wasn't appropriate to be in a, in a buggy anymore. Um, so that was, you know, never, always been relying on a chair of some description um had have to have full-time care with all the sort of turning me at night and getting me dressed in the morning and uh, having a shower all those daily living tasks i require help from from other people so obviously being in the chair and having to get funding for equipment and funding for care and managing a care team and all of that world has given me a very um particular perspective if you like a unique or, or not totally unique but a, a less than average view of, of the world and I think when I was younger I always felt almost like I was the burden that you know I couldn't get into some buildings and that some people had funny attitudes about wheelchair users and some uh, policies whether it be government or business were very excluding and I always believed I was the issue that it was having SMA that was the problem and then going off to uni and reading more books and meeting people from all over the world and and eventually working at the disability charity scope I was very much empowered by the social model of disability and learning that okay I do have this condition and I have to manage my health and the, the bits I talked about before but actually if society had been designed with wheelchair users and then obviously I've become much more in my job and career understanding the barriers that people with different impairments face but at that point you know if the world had been designed by a wheelchair user or with wheelchair users at the the metaphorical table then really that there wouldn't be steps to buildings and attitudes would be open inclusive and policies would be inclusive as well and so really my whole career has been about uh, the use of blogging and social media as a way of changing the narrative of disability and ultimately 
being an innovator and a disruptor and entrepreneurial to help businesses but I would say government and, and charities are very much involved in in this puzzle as well but really just looking at how we redesign the world with disabled people in mind but in a way that non-disabled people are allies and part of that journey and, and understand why it's good to have an inclusive world so yeah sort of touched on a few points there Sassy but that that's the kind of potted history I would say. Oh it's, it's fantastic I, I do love it because that means we can deep dive into further discussions and I really love how you call yourself a disruptor that just puts the biggest smile on my face I think <laughs> it's a really great word because you are you're disrupting the the society that we're in in order to make it better you're dismantling it from the inside out to to make it more inclusive and accessible and the social model of disability and the medical model which you first touched upon is going to be in a podcast <laughs> coming up actually but from my own perspective I'm very much with you I was a wheelchair user from the age of 8 to 16 because I have arthritis and my arthritis was so severe that although I, I could walk and I had mobility, I didn't have mobility for any length or distance. Mm. So I had a custom-made wheelchair, etc. And yeah, I, I guess I was a bit of an angry child. I think because I wasn't in a wheelchair until I broke my arm at the age of seven and then about a year later got diagnosed with arthritis and then it kind of all started hitting different parts of my body and mm -hmm. severely limiting my mobility at that point. Then a quote-unquote healthy child before that. So I used to be frustrated when, for example, I'd go into the shops with my mum and all the clothes would be in my face uh, because the aisles weren't wide enough or I'd have someone, I, and I don't know how you feel about this because every perspective is different, but when adults would bend down and talk to me, but also talk to me like I was a baby. And yes, I was probably eight years old, but as I started getting older and older, I wasn't a baby anymore. And I wanted that autonomy and going into places that has, had steps or whatever, especially there's a big age gap between my sister and I, almost nine years. So my parents were pushing a buggy and the other parent was pushing me in a wheelchair. So they were like contending with that. And I think that's where universal design needs to come into play and access needs to be at the forefront of everyone's minds, not only for disability, but for the wider world, because at some point you're all going to realize you have a, a, a need for access and it's either going to be not denied or it's extremely restricted. And I think if, if we all got like the world on board, you know, the governments and everyone in power in politics, we could truly make a, a bigger, better change. I would want to ask about your thoughts on COVID-19 because I know you're a massive traveler and you're, you're here and everywhere doing conferences and keynote speeches and things. Do you think that COVID has made the world more accessible? And if so, do you think it will continue? Yeah, I mean, uh, COVID-19 has been an interesting one, I think. When it sort of arrived in the UK, the, the first immediate feeling was being scared and fearful of, of catching it. And I think we've, as we've learned what COVID-19 does to people, that it's a bit of a lottery as to those that are unfortunate where you know, it, it turns even more nasty than quite a nasty flu. And obviously some ends up, you know, some people have to go to hospital and, and obviously some are passing away from it. And so I think there was that just pure survival instinct of what if I catch it, will I just generally be one of the, 
the unlucky ones that it, that it gets bad for, but also with having SMA, I've always had to manage, particularly in the winter, colds and chest infections and the occasional pneumonia is a is probably the highest risk on a health level, like apart from the fact I can't cough very well. And uh, therefore, as I said before, the, the risk of chest infections and pneumonia has always been there. Like that's the main bit I've always been wary and had to manage. Whereas apart from that, I don't have pain. I don't have fatigue. So as long as I'm in my chair and I've got that care team and all the inputs I talked about earlier, I've um, yeah been able to travel the world and, and do all sorts of uh, amazing projects. So I think once the um, adjustment of how to take re- precaution from COVID-19 and um, obviously with the care team, look at them coming in the house and the risks that that posed as well. Um, so there was a real adjustment in that domain, if you like. But in some ways, I've actually been more, like work-wise, I've been more productive than ever because when I go and give a, a keynote talk at a conference, and particularly when it's, you know, sort of in in England and it's, you know, London or Birmingham and it's a, a day trip for me, I live out in Cambridgeshire, I have to get up earlier, I'm, I'm travelling a lot on the day there and back. And, and it's definitely, you know, it takes a lot of energy, but there's also, even if the talk's an hour or two, that the whole day is spent on giving that talk. Whereas, like, I've done talks from home during COVID-19. I think you were at the, the GAD day, weren't you, I with, was, with yeah, Deloitte? Yeah. So, like, obviously, and, and so I think to be clear, like, I still want to be able to go to conferences, meet people face-to-face in person, and do all of the proper sort of blogging influencer travels around the world that I've always done. I've not changed my mind on that. I, I am looking forward to that returning but it has made me just slow down and look at where I spend my time where I spend my energy what my impact is in a social impact way and also in a business sense what what moves the needle more and yeah like to be able to to jump on a zoom call like we are have a really engaging positive conversation and we'll share this out to our networks and you know inspire and motivate others in whatever world they're in and what they're looking for and what they gain from this conversation mm-hmm. I feel like and I've heard it from the people I've interviewed on my daily live stream so many people have felt that there have been these upsides that lots of disabled people in particular can study at home work at home and have you know leisure pursuits at home and so I think we, we don't want to end up where we don't make the rest of the tube stations accessible or we don't bother to make theatres and, you know, festivals fully accessible. It's about choice. But I think for a lot of disabled people in different reasons and different times of the year and different ways, there is something about being at home and having access via technology that has been very, very positive. I suppose the one thing that starts to change is as lockdown ends and the rest of society go back out is there then a sense of feeling left behind again but certainly while everyone's been on lockdown it, it's felt like we've been more equal and included than ever but but what are your thoughts on that Sassy? I couldn't agree with you more I've managed to take a course 
I'm doing a course in journalism. I could have accessed the, the place, but the commuting would have wiped me out, which would have meant yeah. I would probably have had to take a day either side. Exactly, um, yeah. And so for, for me, because I, I, I do have a high pain threshold and I, I am on a lot of medication which controls it, but when the pain sets in, I am absolutely exhausted. And some days mm. I can have an entire day in bed, even if I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting. And I'm sure you do have friends with chronic fatigue syndrome. And again, yeah. it's the people that, yes, we're disabled, but actually most of us really are contributing to society. We're workers, we're parents, we have hobbies and interests. We aren't actually stuck at home. Some of our homes could be made more accessible. The areas could be made more accessible, but like generally our, our home is a happy place, but it doesn't mean we want to be stuck indoors 24 seven just because we live with a disability. And I think the access actually has to be like a global expansion of choice as you said, yeah. going back to like my friends with the chronic fatigue syndrome, they've been able to go to theatres and go travelling, armchair travel as they call it, and so many other things that they haven't mm. been able to do because they are constantly at home or in bed and exhausted and, and not able to, to move and have three-day migraines and, and such like. So the fact that they are able to explore the world, I worry for that that it's all going to go back downhill. I know that my course is going to continue. Every single one of us on this course, it's quite a small course, we're all disabled because they are really wanting to push journalism with um, having voices that actually represent the world goes back to quote unquote normal with COVID-19 being lifted and such. My course specifically is still going to be accessible to me. What about all those students that, or even the ones with mental health issues, that it, that it is a real struggle of you can't face the day, but if you could just turn on your laptop and, and read the slides from bed and have your lecturer contact you, then you're still learning, you're still gaining. And I find that really like frustrating when I was a student at uni that they wouldn't essentially give me the work ahead of time. I had mm. because they wanted you to be in class. And then Thankfully, I've got a very good memory and I can retain a lot of information that I had a scribe. So any notes I needed taken, she would do it. But really, if you have to attend in order to get the material just for them to teach you, and I don't think that's right because so many people are being denied the opportunity of further education when it doesn't need to be like that. And that's just, that's just one facet of it. And we're in, we're in a first world country, we're in the UK, so imagine all the possibilities stretching worldwide. I've got a friend who works for a company called Skyroam. She went out and they worked together in the very, very remote parts of the country and gave them internet, teaching them how to use a computer mm. and the internet. And now, like a year on, some of these kids are making businesses and making money and literally making wow. more money than their entire family have made in a year. Yeah, and it just amazing. shows that you give people opportunities, whether it's class, whether it's disability status, economics, anything like that. If they actually believe that all lives matter, then we should be all on that equal footing. Yeah, agreed. And you touched on the the the, the way that not being able to get the information and the materials early for the classes and the course. Going back to the social model, I know you said you've got a full episode coming soon uh, mm -hmm. but it, it that's a classic example of the policy side because I think we understand how the environment disables and we understand how attitudes disable but the policy one is a bit harder for some people to understand but that's a policy the policy of 
you have to be at class to get your materials that is disabling you in this instant and it's an unnecessary disabling policy and just by being aware of how those types of policies affect different students and obviously in other parts of society other kind of policies and like recruitment in jobs for example then by having inclusive policies you're opening up to more people as you absolutely agree with what you just said that if you give opportunity to everyone there's, there's more benefits to everyone as well Mm-hmm. I know you've talked about the purple pound disabled people's money can do for the economy. Corey Lee and I were on a Zoom talking about this as one of my podcast episodes. I was saying how at the present moment it's 270 billion that the disabled economy is is worth and he said 17 million on travel alone. And I know you're wow. you're a massive traveler anyway. So yeah. where would you think that this could go in terms of of travel specifically if the government saw this as an access need? Yeah, I think there's two ways. So the first back to what we we're saying that you know COVID nineteen or no COVID COVID nineteen, the world, the infrastructure should be accessible to everybody. So I think there's a lot more if we take tourism, how is transport accessible? How is accommodation, whether that be hotels or private self-letting, etc. All of the accommodations, museums, all of the different restaurants, cafes, all of the parts that make up tourism. How do we make sure that the physical infrastructure is inclusive, that the customer service is inclusive and the policies are inclusive? And there are... Some of that is a longer term that involves spending more money, like take the London Underground. You know, it, it would, it will, it would cost a lot of money to get the two-thirds of stations that are inaccessible to be fully adapted and kitted out. And that can't be an excuse, as in we're never going to have it accessible because mm. it's going to cost money. But I think we all understand that those sort of changes are going to just take a bit more time um, and that still needs to happen but there are definitely lots of other things that can go on that make places accessible that don't really cost a lot of money it's just the minute an owner of a business understands that there are current customers that are not getting as good an experience and there are other customer or potential customers that aren't coming to their business because they're not able to because the marketing isn't accessible or the infrastructure etc etc so there's a whole load of work around and i'm doing a webinar for visit england at the end of july and that they've obviously caught on that going abroad is not going to be as likely for a lot of people this year because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus so actually there is more chance of tourism in England like people just sort of staycations or whatever you want to call it so I think yeah there's a whole initiative and movement about how we make the actual tourism experience open to everybody and as you said Corey Lee's statistic of 17 million you know that that's a reason to do it if you're a, a tourism business owner like it's worth investing a bit of time and maybe a bit of money you know it could be braille menus for example those those sort of things are not going to break the bank but it's going to really give you a competitive advantage um, in terms of being 
a good place to go for, for the blind community. I think the other area is around virtual and digital. And I think that the more we're getting online, we've got things like virtual reality sort of here or coming soon, shall we say. There's, on a marketing level, there's a way that people can experience with the the goggles and the full VR experience of being at the pyramids or Niagara Falls and, and get a, like a taste and a, a sense of what that might be like. One application of what I'm talking about, I appreciate it's not going to be the be on end all for everybody. But in the end, there's people that may never be able to travel abroad. Mm-hmm. And so there are ways of connecting them with touristic experiences. So it could be um, are you aware of a company called Be My Eyes, Sassy? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know, it's that kind of thing where, well, whether it's like we're we're traveling, but when we are at home, there's these digital ways of getting that fixed the rest of the year. And for those that, for many different reasons, are never going to be able to go abroad, and it's too there's too many variables of why that might be the case. But we know there are some groups of people that it is just too much to to fly to another country but again they can still get that experience of someone on the ground in a you know beautiful place around the world and and have that travel experience from their own home so i I think those two areas to summarize is one making actual travel more inclusive and the second is how we bring those experiences to people's houses for different reasons Mm -hmm. yeah that's really important and you were touching on the digital side of it I think for the disabled community at large and I don't know if you have felt the same way but being able to connect with other human beings that we didn't know in our own communities was like a far, far away thought like 15 years ago. And now we have things like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things. I feel like that in itself has kept the disabled community going. And I know that all these brands are on these places. And so if they tapped into that and and saw that the need through digital media, how we could expose the good side of travel and make it more accessible, I think that would be really, really useful. You have started up a fantastic company called purple goat yeah do you want to tell us about that yeah sure so i mean really what you just touched on before is around visibility and representation of disabled people in media and then you can take that more of a step into sort of social media and brand and purple goat is very much around social influencer and digital marketing so in terms of what we're doing at Purple Goat, it's going to brands and saying that there's a whole group of customers that are not represented by your brand and in your brand. And when we look at the statistics, it's pretty mind-blowing that 22% of the population, and there's a UK stat, and it's arguably going to be even higher in developing countries, but we know in the UK 22% of the population have a disability yet 0.06% of adverts have disability represented in it and so socially that's just awful and morally that's just awful and 
brands wouldn't disagree with that being awful when you sort of pin them down in a room and have a chat about it. But what, where the argument has got more compelling for them to act on it is that, and you sort of touched upon it a little bit earlier, that disabled people have a very large spending power. So a household with a disabled person in all of the households with a disabled person in the UK it's known as the purple pound and it's 250 billion pounds per year so suddenly if you're a business and you're looking to speak to new audiences and new customers or maybe even just like there will obviously be disabled people that are probably already their customers Mm -hmm. but they're just not being seen and heard and represented so to to address all of that disconnect if you like is a huge business potential for those brands and so yeah we're just trying to educate brands on these numbers and the opportunity and then once they're willing and ready to act we then act as a very normal marketing agency where we have creative ideas and strategy and we look at the kind of messaging all the things that other marketing agencies will do but then we've got a network of disabled influencers so instead of buying up a tv ad or a radio ad with the brand's media spend we would go to a group of instagrammers that fit the right message and are are, yeah the right values to that particular brand that we're working with Mm -hmm. and those those influencers will be paid at the market rate depending on their follower numbers and the amount of content that they're going to create for a particular campaign and obviously we can use things like facebook and instagram advertising and there's all sorts of marketing tools that you can then bring in and you're essentially making sure you've got that representation covered and it's authentic and genuine which is very very important in not just in advertising but in life really Um, i think we all know when an advert or even just a person comes across a bit disingenuous we we feel it you know there's a kind of sense of this just isn't authentic it's not genuine it makes sure that that the campaign and the the advert and the marketing is going to be right in that way and yet to win 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 because disabled customers are seen and heard and get a better experience with their products and services disabled talent is winning because they're getting paid for creating content and growing community and making a difference in the disability world and the brands win because they end up making more profit and have happier customers so that's kind of yeah we only launched six weeks ago we've got a few clients on board already and we've pitched some really big brands already but it you know it's early days so it's all one step at a time but it's an exciting prospect at the moment absolutely i think the not only does the industry need it, but I think this it's, it's a good moral thing just because disabled people are, are left out. I'm, I'm sure the statistics you were saying with the 22%, doesn't that something equal like once or twice a year, you're essentially, we're getting marketed to as disabled people and seeing ourselves represented. And I yeah, think, that's, yeah. I was going to say that's a statistic that my, so I co-founded Purple Goat with the goat agency or a global advertising agency so you've got 
their knowledge and experience of marketing, which I have some of already, but mm-hmm. very much my experience around different parts of the disability community and the economics of that. And yeah, Aaron was saying that um, if you have 0.06% of adverts, that's what, almost one three hundred and sixty fifth of the 22%, which as you say, means that in a way, once a year, brands are speaking to disabled people, which is crazy. Yeah, it just absolutely baffles me because disabled people are everywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're yeah. in the workplace, we're, no, we're away in the supermarkets, run and hide. <laughs> so <laughs> from, from, from there, you, you've really got to see, as you said, you've got to see it from the brand's perspective, the business's perspective, because they will make money because disabled people who are treated fairly and equally and like a customer, a loyal customer, will become a loyal customer, just like anyone else. But disabled people generally, I don't know if this is your experience, but stick to brands that they know and trust. Because we know you're going to get that level of customer service. You know you're going to get that level of experience and engagement. And if things go wrong, there's someone you can kind of speak to. It's not just going to fob you off. And I think the the disabled communities being misrepresented in media and and lots of other things over the years but I I can't even remember honestly and maybe it's because I don't watch much tv anymore but I can't remember of the last time that disabled people were seen as just normal average joes but like really Mm. good advertising I think it was probably around the Paralympics which was in 2012 like I genuinely can't can't think off the top of my head and that's pretty disgraceful that the last time we were a marketed to but also these are just joe blogs people who just happen to have a disability Mm. that was 2012 and now in 2020 you're saying it's early doors but i think because not just having goats on your side because they are like the world's leading um, i think just you your entrepreneurial spirit all the knowledge you have the the kind of the people you know as well i think i think this is going to go very far but very quickly too and i think it's going to take off so yeah i'm excited yeah, thank to see where it's going to go absolutely thank you for saying that and yeah i mean uh, so with the intro there'll be a mention of some of the other projects but it's good just to say that you know we Trin and I co-founded Disability Horizons, which is a platform of stories, like personal stories of disabled people for the community. So it's not really a business, but it's a a platform and a community for sharing the good, the bad and the ugly of of being disabled in in the modern world. And from that, we co-founded Accommable, which was where we vetted the accessibility of travel properties and that grew and grew with investment and we sold it to Airbnb. So back to that point about disruption, we've done various sort of disruptive products and we've worked with bigger uh, mainstream businesses. I think it's also important for some of the people that are uh, watching and listening that, you know, when we talk about the business, if you're an everyday disabled person, you're not so interested in sort of business or marketing, this argument might sound a bit, the fact that it's about advertising and brands making more profit, it could have a negative connotation in in certain frames of looking at this. But Mm. I just want to explain that for me, like we still need pressure on government to do the right policies to invest and support 
in disabled people. So I'm talking back to what I said earlier, like my wheelchair needs funding, my care needs funding and all of that kind of stuff. We still need government not to cut that and if anything to, to grow that. And we need care work to be acknowledged as a very positive, valuable, amazing vocation in, in life. So there's all these sort of other battles and I'm very much, you know, with Disability Horizons, we're, we work in those areas as well. But it's businesses that employ people. So if we can get more employment of disabled people, that means we're more financially independent. Mm-hmm. And if brands make their goods and services accessible, it means that buying our food and going on holiday and all the other things that we do we're not thinking, oh, I'm a consumer, I'm a consumer. But yeah. actually, in everyday life, we're consuming without seeing it as a business thing. So I just want to make that point for anyone that's starting to get a bit put off by all this talk of profit and business, that for me, it's a way of speaking the language of the businesses. But ultimately, I believe it's a way we will bring about more inclusion in the long run. Absolutely. I really appreciate you highlighting that because I'm still kind of wrapped up in business and and marketing from being a business woman, so to speak, being self-employed and stuff. I can see the intricacies and why it's important. But yeah, really, we don't think of ourselves as consumers. We don't we don't see it as a business transaction, whether or not, you know, you're you're able bodied, non-disabled or or disabled. You don't really see it like that. You just have it or you buy it or you purchase it Um, yeah do you know Sassy someone said to me from a large I think it was a phone network company in America I won't give particulars away but (laughs) they they said um, yeah but as much as there's a lot of disabled people and the spending power is said to be high if unemployment is higher and there's more poverty and welfare and benefits like doesn't that mean that that community in truth, doesn't really spend that much money. And I didn't mean it to be sort of flippant or sarcastic. It was a genuine comment. But I said, disabled people buy bread too. Because (laughs) at the end of the day, like whether the money's because like you and I are working and, you know, like there's there's an element of fortune that, you know, we've been able to get education and able to get in the workplace but you know there are disabled people that through different reasons are it's it's harder to get in the workplace for reasons that are out of their control Mm -hmm. but whether it's because working and financially independent or there is like government welfare like it doesn't matter it's still money in that person's pocket and then they are gonna where are they gonna do their shop are they gonna do the weekly shop at tesco or asda or sainsbury's well if one of those step up and say, we are going to really go for it and be the brand of disabled shoppers, mm-hmm. like more and more disabled people are going to shop with that brand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that, honestly, they still going around in my head. It was <laughs> disabled people buy bread too. That's, <laughs> that, that should be your tagline because it is so bloody true. Like even if you think of disabled people that may have, uh, over here um, in the UK, DLA, and they put that towards a mobility car, which is what I do. 
Yeah. Then, I, then I'm buying petrol to put in that yeah, car. Exactly. Yeah. And and then I'm I'm driving places that's putting money back in, uh, whether it's a supermarket, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a clothing shop. I'm putting money back in their pocket from the context of the argument where the money's coming from. It's yeah. coming, and that's all that should matter. But touching back on that point. It, it all goes back to the social model of disability because if policies were in place to make the workplace fully accessible, not just from an aesthetic and like a um, architectural way, but say, for example, those with autism, then they could, for example, work in the office twice a week, but maybe work from home three days a week just yeah. because of the fact that it's too much overwhelm. But everyone is on their own spectrum of disability. Like even two people with the same condition have different needs and requirements. And so if you see the bigger picture, that it's a, it's a tweak here, it's, a, it's access to work there, it's, it's helping you get in your foot in the door, then realizing that disabled people are bloody hard workers because really we spent our entire lives fighting for what everyone else has as a, what essentially is a privilege. Yeah, the resilience and the, the well, we used the word disruption a few times, but it's sort of problem solving and innovating. I'm managing a budget from my local authority and managing a team to, to get out of bed and have a shower. So like before I've even started work, I've already been problem solving. And I think those are the sorts of values and virtues that disabled brings to the workforce as you say I think also it's good to mention and you touched a little bit on it earlier about universal design and was it your sister you said was in the buggy yes yeah. yeah yeah like parents with younger kids will notice that the difficulties of accessing whether it's transport or or buildings but being in the workplace they have to factor in picking the kids up from school or from childcare, and there's also other parts of the workforce that have got aging parents who then start to need more support and more care. And there's a sort of an overlap of disabled people and older people that are becoming you know, less mobile. It's sort of the two become one in a sense, but like older people don't identify as being disabled and parents with, with kids certainly don't, you know, think about disability, but there's all these different communities that universal design and flexible working and remote working is actually very, very, uh, the dogs just coming in and say hi, <laughs> just, just as I was on a roll. But yeah, it's, it's vital for, for all the different groups of society to be included. And it's not just disability. And of course, back to the point about households with a disabled person, if I can't get in a restaurant, that means my fiance or my group of family or friends aren't going to come with me. So it, I think the point is it extends way beyond just those with a disability in all sorts of directions as to the benefits of inclusion. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. You and I and probably the majority of the disabled community could probably sit here for three days solid and, and still keep talking about this because there's so much that needs to be done and there's so much that, that could be done. But it, it's really about getting the people that need to hear it, get them listening really. Hope, being very optimistic here that we don't get left behind because of COVID when things are like returning to some a semblance of normality. I feel like in some contexts we already are but I also feel that 
as the working population of non-disabled people could work remotely and realize its benefits, I think they're the ones that are also going to be pushing for flexible working, remote working, taking, I don't know, a Friday off, or as you said, picking up their children from childcare. Say they leave the office at three to pick their kids up, but then they come home at seven, log back on for the last hour and do their work there. And it's just, when you realize that it doesn't just benefit one it doesn't fit just one demographic it literally encompasses like the entire globe it just is the right thing to do it's the moral thing to do I feel so yeah and I think you said earlier that you'd uh, seen my live interview I'd done on my daily sib that the daily broadcast I do and it was a guy that works at a market research company and looking at how neuroscience can fit into the sort of world of of advertising and without getting too off on a tangent but I think that that was the big thing I got from the chat with him is that consumers are wanting brands to do more good the sort of sustainability movement we've seen like the last week or two the the Black Lives Matter protests and the way that brands are trying to work out what their stance and narrative is on on black rights issues so yeah I think brands that don't stand for something and do good in different meanings of the word do good which will include inclusion of all people like disabled people Mm -hmm. then they're going to get left behind and maybe hopefully that's why we are going to be able to get in the room and speak to the brands rather than just only talk about it amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. is that those brands are, are waking up you know to the opportunity in a business sense but I think the risk of not doing it is becoming too great as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we have dived into I don't know how many topics and I'm super excited for this episode to go live, not only for the fact that I've got such a powerhouse on here and I hope that Purple Goat takes off, but more importantly that you, this audience, learn something new and, and take value from it. Martin, before I head off and you head off, would you like to say any last words or promote anything that I can leave in the show notes? I guess, yeah, my blog is martinsibley.com. So I try and do a weekly roundup of what I've been up to. So if people want to follow um, some of my interviews with parts of the disability community and it um, podcast and the Daily Sib, that's the best place to sign up to my newsletter. Disabilityhorizons.com is by disabled people for disabled people, the platform and community. And Purple Goat is purplegoatagency.com. And yeah, that's probably the best way to follow what I'm up to. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just said uh, Disability Horizons is actually how I found you. So ah. it, yeah, it's, it's a great community. It's a great resource. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant. Purple Goat, the agency that's connecting businesses to the global disability market with Martin Sibley as my guest. I've been your host, Sassy Wyatt. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please check out Martin on all of his social medias. The links will be left in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it, giving me five stars on Apple Podcasts, because my hope is to truly make you a better human being.